Good evening, LCM. Good evening. Tonight, somebody said tonight. tonight. It's July 28th, 2022. And what a glorious and fun time we're going to have this evening. Hallelujah. LCM, it has been a total of four days since we, like, we last gathered in this corporate body. Somebody say four days. Four days, and how can we not talk about the fantastic service that we had on Sunday? Yeah. Man, were you guys moved in your spirit? Were you moved by worship? Yeah. See, it's, it's up to the pastors. It's up to the prerogative how they want to, you know, run worship moving forward. But I can tell you, I, I enjoyed seeing Pastor Wade on the piano. I enjoyed Peyton and Pastor Matthew worship. I enjoyed Gabe playing the djembe. Man, what a sweet time of fellowship that we had. Were you stirred by the word? Yeah. Were you convicted by the word? Yeah. Were you uplifted by God's word? Yeah. And lastly, were you refreshed and empowered by the spirit of the living God? Yeah. LCM, same for us. We were moved. We were stirred. We were refreshed. We were empowered by God. And tonight, we're going to talk about how to experience what we experienced on Sunday on an ongoing, perpetual basis. And also the attitude. Somebody say attitude. attitude. The attitude that is required on our end to keep it going, to keep it burning. So LCM, you guys ready? Man, get your Bibles out. We're going to go for a ride. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and be reminded of what King Jesus said about his church, what he said about you, LCM. Come on. Are you there? Matthew 16 verse 18. It says... And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is a mind-blowing statement. Yeah. It's a statement that Pastor Eric harped over, that he, he, he engaged with it, and he gave, gave us revelation about it. Yeshua is the builder. That's what he says. I will build my church. He also says that indeed this building project is getting accomplished. Yeah. It's getting done. And the gates of Hades of Sheol will not overcome it, will not stand against it, will not be able to stand. He, the, uh, the kingdom is running over it. Okay? This is a certainty. This is not wishy statements. This is him, the word of God, Jesus, the incarnate word of God speaking. What happens when the word of God comes forth? It achieves that which he went to accomplish. It goes out and it does not return void. We have an immutable, an indestructible, an invincible, and an invigorating promise. This, this is what is causing in us. All of it. All those four things at once. Right? The church of the living God will keep being built and it will not be able to be overcome. LCM, this is incredible. You guys are a Bible-believing church. You're familiar with Matthew 16. But you have to ask yourself... What kind of attitude does Jesus have when he's saying what he's saying about the church of the living God? What he's saying about Spencer McLean? What kind of attitude does he have? Engage with us. Think about this. Where is he standing? When he says what he's saying in Matthew 16, where is Jesus standing? Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Adam Korah. Where was Jesus born? Nazareth. Where did Jesus minister? All over Israel. Jerusalem, uh, Galilee, 
The point being is, why specifically at Caesarea Philippi was he standing there saying what he was saying? It's for a reason. In their day, it was a present-day abortion mill. This is where idolatry was rampant. But think about this. He is standing there in the land of Israel at this specific spot where it's considered the gates of Hades. And the attitude that he's wanting to transmit to his disciples Disciples is an overwhelming, overcoming attitude. That's why he's, he could have done this anywhere. He could have told them at, at the Mount of Beatitudes, but he did it specifically as Caesarea Philippi says, not, nothing can stop the church of the living God. Your fears, your concerns, the things that, that you're worried about tomorrow. I'm standing here presently where idolatry is rampant, and I'm telling you nothing will stop the church. This is the attitude by which he's, he's trying and he's working to transmit into his disciples. Now, LCM, when you have an attitude, do people take notice of your attitude? Right? When you walk in a room and you have an attitude, you know who you are. Do people take notice? They should. They should absolutely take notice. Whether they, they like your attitude, they don't like your attitude, you make them mad, happy, glad, or sad, it doesn't matter. Well, what Jesus is doing, into his, what he's doing for his disciples was meant to be ever growing, ever perpetuating into the generations. And when you have an attitude of you knowing who you are, knowing that you're an overcoming church, people take notice. In light of that, we're going to look at a first century Jewish rabbi who noticed the attitude of the disciples, who noticed the attitude that these men carried and what he had to say about the overwhelming nature of these men's attitude, the unstoppable nature of that which proceeded from the throne of God that God was transmitted into these men. So what are we going to talk about? It's first century rabbi. Yeah. But I'm going to give you some context of what's happening here. At this point, the church has already been empowered with the Holy Spirit. Say, oh, come on, hallelujah. hallelujah. They gave away their lives, and they have everything in common. They are preaching the gospel with power. They are conquering and expanding. They're running hard. I mean, this is the church, right? Thousands are being added to them just in Jerusalem, yeah. right? Peter and John have already been uh, imprisoned for the gospel, and the apostles were already put in prison as well. And not only that, they were let go by an angel, well, Peter and John. Now, after being released, okay, the angel gave them a task to immediately go back to the temple and preach the words of life. Yeah. So you're in prison, and the angel's like, yeah, yeah, I know you're in prison, you're going back, yeah. right? This is unstoppable. Not only that, when the high priest found them, because they're in the temple preaching again, they were not happy, all right? They, were, they wanted to kill them. That's exactly what the Bible says. We want to kill these guys. Destroy them. Stop them. However, a wise rabbi whose name is Gamaliel, who had more understanding regarding these things, regarding the unstoppable nature of God, and anything that he declares proceeds to tell us what they should do. Acts 5 verse 38 says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activities of human origin, it will fail. Yeah. But if it is from God, yeah. you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Yeah. Now, this teaching is excellent. Anyone who tries to do something for God that originates with human origin will fail. Yeah. 
Now, that is also concerning to me, okay? But it's excellent. Now, however, <laughs> if the Father is the source of that movement, of that action, of those words, of anything that's coming forth from the Father, it is unstoppable. You will find yourself being an enemy of God if you oppose that which came directly from the Father. What comes from God doesn't need us to protect it. Okay? What it needs us is to enact it. What we need to do is to take that which comes from the throne of God and put it to practice and get it done. It came from Him. It's unstoppable. It's going to happen. It is His battle. We had a verse about that today in service. It is His battle. If it's from Him, all you have to do is to step up and go do it. And this is not just for the church. Okay? This is for every single person in here. LCM, do you believe that they got this right? In Jesus' day, his disciples. What Carlos just said is, this is not just true for the church of God as a whole. It is true for every single believer. In fact, 1 John 5 says this in verse 4. Everyone, say everyone. Born of God overcomes the world. That's the reality. There's nothing else to talk about. That is the present reality that everybody who is born of God overcomes the world. That we have an overcoming nature. That the word of God is alive and breathing and it is a fire inside of us. And everything that we face, we maul down. And so when we think about this, that everybody, that Ibrahim Zakari is born of the living God and God's word is working inside of him, my man, you are unstoppable. And this is the attitude that we need to take on. See, every son of God has victory in store for them. Every son of God has victory in store for them. If the Father said it, that settles it. Nothing can stop him and nothing can stop you. See, this is the victory that we have in our faith. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! Isn't this amazing? That this is what we have been given. That it's a privilege, an honor of, of just sheer gratitude that should rise in our hearts for what we are receiving. That what we're receiving is an unconquerable nature of God and to be a part of the unstoppable plan of God. Are you guys excited about that? Yes. Now, with all that being said, the question is, is this indeed our reality? On a daily basis, what does this look like? When the lights are off, when the scripture is no longer on the screen, we're not, play, we're not in worship anymore. When we leave here, is this indeed our present reality? Well, again, that is also concerning. Yeah, I mean, let's grapple with this. We're not, okay, we're preaching, but we're not here to play preaching games. We're not here to get us pumped up and, and just, just have a good time. I mean, we took the task of preaching the living word of God. Yeah. That's meant to cause, to change, to engage, to bring revelation, to compel. All right? So we're not going to leave ourselves the way we are right now. Amen. But let's grapple with our reality if we're we're gonna grapple with where we're at right now and it's okay it's okay if we're not where we need to be all right at least we're gonna set a path for where we need to be what we need to be pursuing and we're gonna engage with this and we're gonna we're not gonna be guilty from hearing and not putting into practice that is on you yes we're teaching and we are more accountable for anything that's coming out of our mouth. Yeah. 
but you are accountable for anything that you are receiving through your ears. Yeah. So let's do this. So Carlos and I got a few things to, to state to you guys. I mean, we already have the mic, so let's just keep going. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through some realities that are available to every believer. As we state this, we want your honest, sober engagement. Yeah. We'll let you judge yourself regarding whether, of, whether these things we're, we're about to state shows up consistently in your life, regularly in your life, solemnly in your life, or never at all. So think about this. Church, do you walk in the revelation and understanding that you are seated in the heavenly realms with Yeshua, Messiah, and at the right hand of the Father? That when you walk into a room, that you walk in the authority from God Almighty, knowing who he is and who you are? Well, yeah, that's concerning too. I am, ex are you, are you as the son of God, experiencing the life and life in abundance and fullness that he promised in John 10, 10. That Yeshua has made available for you and I. That makes me so eager to give it away as well. Because I am experiencing so much of this life that I have to give it away. And not, I cannot keep it to my own. I am continuously, am I continuously drinking of this spring of water, of living water that Yeshua has for me. That becomes a river and a fountain of living water coming from my innermost being. Yeah. Is that what is going on in me daily, hourly? Is that what's happening in me? Is that what's happening in my family? Is that what's happening when I meet together with brothers? Is that the, the environment that we're living in? You know, I'm, I'm so compelled by the words of, of Yeshua that the Holy Spirit is the power for us to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Of his resurrection. Witnesses of the gospel. Now, again, how is, is my gospel coming out of my lips at all, first of all? Is it like when I'm walking out there, I know we speak about the gospel in here, right? This is, but that's, that's fairly easy, okay? But going out into a dark world and bringing the gospel and letting that come, in out, come, come out of your mouth. And not only that, let it come out with power. Is that what characterizes my life outside of these four walls? Am I seeking opportunities for this to be done? Because he said the harvesters or the laborers are few, but the, few, but the harvest is plentiful. Is that what characterizes me? Saints, let me tell you that there is nothing wrong with the gospel, with the word of the gospel. No. Nothing wrong. Indeed, the gospel is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel even a bit. For the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There is nothing wrong with the gospel. We're not preaching to Jesus. His gospel is perfect. We're preaching to ourselves in here. Church, this is beautiful. As we went through these statements, if you're wrestling with them, thinking about them, like, man, I, <laughs> honestly, man, this, this doesn't always show up in my life. Well, at least you're being honest. So are we, and we're wrestling with these things. We have to ask ourselves a question. As we're engaging with this, why is it that we fail to walk in this identity and power of who God has actually called us to be? Why is it that we can go from a Sunday and by Thursday we might, we might be in the mully grubs? You know, our car doesn't start one day, something happens at work, you know, you get a phone call that you weren't expecting, and all of a sudden we're out of the spirit. 
What causes us not to walk in this reality that Jesus stated back in Matthew 16 that says that nothing, the gates of hell, will not overcome the church of the living God? I think Proverbs 29, 18, we can put it on the screen, gives us insight to the reason that we don't walk these things out consistently. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Church, a lack of revelation is what causes us not to walk in this present reality. Look, it's not medical issues. It's, not, it's none of those things. Not, it's not the things in our bank account. It's not our bills. It's a, it's a lack of revelation that causes us not to walk in what God has called us to walk in. And we're not talking about a revelation of head knowledge. We're not talking about stuffing ourselves full so we can just regurgitate something. We're talking about a revelation that is, that is birthed from heaven into our heart that causes transformation daily. That we're moved deeply and causes us to act on God's behalf. Think about this. When you read the word. When you read the word in your private time, when you read about stories of men that inspired this kind of revelation, that they had a revelation from God and it compelled them and moved them in their heart and moved them to action. When you read that, doesn't that encourage you? Yeah. Throw out some names. Throw out some, some biblical names of men that have encouraged you when you're reading their story that now impacts your life and you're pursuing that daily. Give me a name. Ezra, Joshua, Mo, Jehu, Moses, all, all these guys, right? See, we want to look at a man's life. We want to look at a man's life who, who we believe, as we were studying for this message, exemplifies the attitude of somebody who has received a revelation from the Father. And that revelation flowed into him having a revelation of who he is and, have, and then a revelation of what he possesses, what he's been given, what he's received, and then what was at his disposal. You guys ready? Come on. All right, we're going to turn to 2 Kings chapter 9. All right. As you're getting there, say attitude. attitude. That is not the title. We'll give you the title later. Second Kings chapter 9, verse 6. It says, Jehu got up and went into the house. Then the prophet poured the oil on Jehu's head and declared, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants shed by Jezebel. Now, most of us are pretty well acquainted with the life of Jehu. Most, I've been is the most. Now, the attitude by which Jehu carried the will of God is what we really want to hone in here. Amen. Okay? Jehu was chosen by God. Chosen. This didn't start with Jehu. And his walk, accomplishing the work of God, started with a revelation. The verse says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Yeah. It's a revelation of who the God of Israel says. It comes from him. It starts with him. That is why it's unstoppable. And it also gives you a revelation of who Jehu is. He's no longer a commander. Now you are king. Yeah. And not only that, now you have an assignment. He He's given an assignment and he's given a revelation that empowers him. What has he done for him? He's anointed. He's set apart for this work and for this assignment. He is also empowered by this anointment to do, to carry out this assignment. Jehu received a deposit that did not start with him. He did not make this come to being. It, who anointed him? What does this verse say? It was a prophet. Well, you may remember that it was not that prophet, the one that was commanded initially to anoint Jehu. It started with Elijah. 
God told Elijah, go and know Jehu. Well, Elijah didn't do it. But he raised up a disciple, Elisha. Well, Elisha didn't do it. Oh, but Elisha commanded somebody, that prophet that we're reading here, and that prophet anointed Jehu. This is something actually that came through generations, which Jehu received. This did not start in himself. He received a deposit that was valuable, that, that empowered him for what was coming after. And he did good on that anointing. His calling originated with God, remember that. It did not originate with his own feelings, emotions, or thoughts about himself. It came from God. God gave the command, and the plan was unstoppable. This is incredible. Started with the Lord. Three generations of prophets are invested into this, and now Jehu has been anointed for the task that is at hand. What did he do as a result of this? Let's pick up in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 16. It says, Then he got into his chariot and rode to Jezreel. Because Jehoram was resting there, and Azahiah, king of Judah, had gone down to see him. LCM, Jehu had a revelation and had a deposit that compelled him to action. To action that was immediate. Somebody said immediate. immediate. Jehu, Jehu took immediate action and wasted no time. There was no time to consult. There was no time to pray. He, was, he received something from heaven. God said, you're no longer a commander. You are now king. This is a fact. And he took immediate action and wasted no time. Jehu went to war with the things that God was at war with. He didn't just turn his face to them. He didn't just acknowledge them. He went to war because the God of heaven, the God of Israel, was at war with the idolatry in Israel. And then Jehu went to destroy and exterminate these things and establish God's right order, his shalom. LCM, this is the attitude of Jehu we're, we're, we're stirring up tonight, this evening. It is the same with you. Think about it. LCM, did the gospel originate with you? None of this originated with Jehu. There have been men who were faithful to hold on to God's promises, and it was deposited into Jehu. It's the same with you. We didn't write the Bible. We didn't start this thing. But men of God bled and died and sacrificed for the book that you have in your hand to live a supernatural life and, and do something with it. We're supposed to walk in this kingdom reality that when we receive something from heaven, it causes us to take immediate action and waste no time whatsoever. That we turn our faces like flint. That we, we take on the nature of Jesus, the attitude of him that says we cannot be overcome. That we are at war with the things that God is at war with. And we're going to destroy and exterminate these things and set up his right order, his shalom. Now, we have a question to ask. When Jehu stepped out and took action to establish, establish God's shalom in Israel, was it received well? Was it like, hey, here's Jehu. Somebody take a picture. Jehu, it's nice to see you. Or was he absolutely resisted at every turn? Man, he was resisted. Man, they did not want him there. There was, there was pushback. See, when we go into all the ways that Jehu was resisted, you guys can refer to a sermon that Pastor uh, Elder Eric and Judah preached, Pastor Judah preached, that's called 70 Sons of Samaria. But what we will say is this. When you go out to establish God's right order of shalom, the first thing you're, gonna, you're going to encounter is resistance. When Jehu stepped out in faith, when he rode to Jezreel with a mission from God, he immediately encountered resistance. In fact, 2 Kings 9.18 says that the king sent a horseman and said, hey, Jehu, do you come in peace? Jehu's response is, what do you have to do with peace? He replied, fall in behind me. 
The horseman said, what do you have to do with peace? He says, do you come in peace, rather? Jehu says, what, what do you have to do with peace? Get behind me and let's ride. See, they're talking about two different things. Jehu is talking about making peace like Matthew 5, 9 says, that blessed are the peacemakers for they do be called sons of God. Jehu is on a war path to make right order God's peace. And the first thing that he's encountering is peacekeeping. LCM, isn't it the same with us? When you step out and do God's will, when you know that you're in right order with the Father, and the only way to establish shalom is to step out into, into God's will, and you encounter peacekeeping. This is what Jehu was encountering, peacekeeping that was compromised. See, husbands, it starts with you. This is what you are going to face. And when you get this right, think about it. When you, get, when you get your shalom right with the Lord, when you deal with your own inner fears, when you step out in faith and you're, you're mulling over the peacekeeping that, that wants you to do something different than what God has said, where does your shalom immediately extend to? Husbands, when you're in right order with the Lord, your wife. Shalom from the Father into you, into your wife. This is, the, this is God's right order. Think about what Jehu goes on to do. He steps out in faith. He kills those kings, and then he turns to Jezebel. He puts her to death, and there we see again and again and again immediate action that Jehu has taken. He's wasting no time. He's going to war. There's an attitude, and he establishes right order, but he doesn't sit and, and, and just soak in what God is doing. No, he steps out in faith again. After Jezebel, what happens? He deals with the sons. The point here being is when a husband is in right shalom, when you're in right shalom with the Lord, you turn immediately to your family. You dress the things in your wife. You dress the things that are at war with your relationship, and you dress the things that are at war in, with the, your, your children and the generations. This is what Je Jehu is doing here and now. And he just plows through all of it. Has no regard. He, he plows through all of this because he knows he's been anointed by God, and this is the kind of attitude that we need. An attitude that is an overcoming attitude that we're called to walk in. See, just like the sign behind us, it's one life, one family, and one nation. It starts with us having a pursuit of the Lord and the attitude that is birthed from him that causes us to establish, to plow, to, to force our way, advance to the kingdom until his right shalom is established. See, Jehu had an attitude that showed up in a faithfulness to complete the task. When you've received the revelation from God, knowing his character, knowing who you are, what you've received, and you walk in this overcoming attitude, it produces faithfulness in the work of God. Does Jehu give you an indication that he was stoppable, right? No. 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 I mean, he's, he's like a trailblazer. He's just nobody can stand in front of him. Yeah. This is, that's why we're talking about his attitude. This is the unstoppable church. This, and, and again, he did not make up his mind of, oh, yes, I'm going to be unstoppable today. No, this is, this is starting from God, and this is the empowerment that he has received to do what my, my brother just shared. Now, 2 Kings ver, uh, chapter 10, verse 30 gives you a, a beautiful summary. It says, the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes. And have done to Ahab, and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do. <laughs> Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yeah. Now, this sounds like so many things. It sounds like in Acts when, when it speaks about David, that everything that was, in, was in, in God's heart he accomplished, a man after God's own heart. It sounds like Jesus, when I have glorified you, Father, accomplishing 
the work that you have given me to do. This is the unstoppable nature of the living God when it permeates through a man. Now, Jehu, chosen by God, Jehu, received the anointing and the deposit. Jehu, anointed to be an officer, a king of God, received this and was faithful. Say faithful. faithful. He was faithful to steward that which he had received. This revelation that what he had received was valuable was important to him. This drove his life. It's important. It's valuable. This deposit is not for me to throw away. I have to act upon it. This is a stewardship of a faithful man that actually accomplishes the reason why he received anything at all. Now, nothing got in the way. Say nothing. This is the unstoppable attitude. Nothing got in the way of him accomplishing that which for he was anointed. Amen. Now, just like Jehu, we have been entrusted with a revelation from the Lord that must show up in our attitude and compel us to action. Revelation changes you. Can you say that? Revelation completely changes you. What was not in your heart before, now you can't, you can't stop doing it. You are compelled to. That's what revelation does for us. It makes a completely different man. We're, again, we're not talking about a knowledge. We all can have many, much knowledge. We can read the Bible and not be changed whatsoever. It's a revelation that impacts you and completely makes you into a different person. So let's go into practical things. You want practical? Well, we got practical for you. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2. It says this, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Come on. Studying with Carlos, we, we looked at the, the Young's literal translation of the same verse. It says, let a man so reckon us as officers of Christ and stewards of the secrets of God. And as to the rest, it is required in the stewards that one may be found faithful. Man, LCM, you guys are a Bible-believing church. When we, when we look at this word here and it says servants, this is not your typical uh, servants in the Greek of doulos. This is, this is talking about an officer, right? It's talking about one who's been chosen and appointed as part of God's army, as part of his kingdom. On, and, I mean, you've been chosen as an officer, right? You're not, you're not a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Amen. No, no, no. You've been chosen as an officer of God Almighty. Amen. When he shows up, his enemies scattered. When he dealt with the, the, the gods of Egypt, they could not stand against him. And you, Elsim, have been chosen into his army to, to further the kingdom of God. The next word there is stewards, stewards that have to prove faithful. See, in Luke chapter 12, 42, we don't even have to turn there. It talks about a faithful servant that who the master calls blessed because his master finds him doing the work that he was entrusted to when the master comes. There's no timing in this, in this, in this, in this passage. It's not like the master showed up, shows up one day and then 24 hours, you know, hey, hey, servant, you've been faithful. That's not what faithfulness looks like. It looks like daily doing the same thing again and again and again and again when nobody's looking, when nobody's around, when nobody has to spur you on to do it, but being faithful with the things that God has been entrusted to you, just like Jehu. In Matthew 25, we see something very similar. It talks about servants to whom the master's entrusted with different possessions, the talents, 
And, in which, and we see in this passage, because the, the Bible, is a, it gives us a sober reality, reality. It's a double-edged sword. We see servants that are faithful and servants who are not. For the good and faithful servant, we see that this man was faithful with the little that was entrusted to him. Elson, doesn't the world think we're crazy? Why do we go down to zero? Why do we live with each other? Hey, you, you make this much. Why do you, why do you do this? Why do you move in with another family? Because I am living for the kingdom of God. See, this servant understood what it's like to be entrusted with little. And you know what? He's going to be entrusted with much more. It's the same with us, LCM. We're, we're, we're a storefront church. Nobody's paying attention to us. But the heavenlies have taken notice of what God is doing here in this body. You're faithful, LCM. The other servant is wicked and lazy. That's not us. We run hard in this church. We run hard. We want to win. See, that wicked and lazy servant had a false revelation. He failed to protect. He failed, he failed to guard. He, he hid what God entrusted to him. See, LCM, we're not, that's not who we are. You didn't show up tonight because you just wanted to coast on by. You don't show up to a church like this because you want to slide your way into the kingdom. No, no, no. You guys are officers in training. God brought us here to advance his kingdom. Okay. So there's something very interesting in that passage in Matthew 25. Because the man that is wicked and lazy, okay, he has a revelation. But it's a false one. He says, I knew that you reap where you haven't sown. Right? Oh, that's a good revelation. That works nothing. It works destruction inside of you and causes you to be a wicked and lazy servant. But the other one must have had a revelation that the father was faithful. Yeah. He was given enough for the man to also be faithful to his father and return much more than what he was entrusted with. So if you want to reckon us, if you want to take on a name, let's say that we are officers of Christ, and stewards of the secrets of God. We have been entrusted with the secrets of God, and we are officers in His army. And what does He look for us to actually prove faithful? Yeah. What has been entrusted to you? Just look and see if you are proving faithful. Let's start with something very obvious. So obvious that I bet you that you don't consider it enough. He gives you the breath of life. The only reason you're alive today... It's because he keeps you alive. He sustains you, and he hasn't taken that breath away. Yeah. When you think about that, what does, it, what does it compel you to do? What does that revelation of the fact that he gives you the breath of life compels you to do? Yeah. How do you steward every single second of your day? Because that is faithfulness. How do you steward the fact that if it was not for him... I would not be here, I would not have my wife, I would not have my children, I would not be rescued, I would not be in his kingdom. I have been entrusted way too much. And my faithfulness hasn't really been proven. You may say, oh no, but he has been faithful in some... Okay, no, it has not been proven. When I talk, when I look at my day, when you look at your day, you have to be sober and understand that the breath, you are wasting the breath of life unless you are accomplishing the work and doing what he has called you to do. Father, teach me to number my days that I would have a heart of wisdom. Hallelujah. Right? Yeah. This is faithfulness and gratefulness irrespective of what's going on. 
irrespective of how you feel, irrespective of, of, of the, of the um, circumstances, of, of any opposition, of whether you woke up sick or not sick, it doesn't matter. The Father is giving you what you have. Amen. How faithful are you proving with that simple fact? It all starts from there. We cannot build on anything else that you are supposedly being faithful unless we grapple with the faithfulness to the breath of life that He has given you. You know, and this is anytime, anywhere. It doesn't matter whoever is watching. How do we, and, and we, and I have the, I want to do this, right? But if there's no cop, I, I speed up a little bit. And a little bit. Just a little bit. No, that reflects a hypocritical nature in which I am not really accountable to God. I think I'm accountable to men. And that, that transcends to other areas of my life. So how faithful are you when nobody's watching? It's still the same breath of life and still the same life that he has given you. Yeah. LCM, this is, this is amazing. When we talk about the breath of life, uh, yes, the physical, you waking up every day, that is extraordinary. But you have been born again. You've been born of the substance of heaven. You've been, you've been rescued from an empty way of life. And as a result, the life that you now live, LCM, is through faith in the Son of God. The next, the, think of something else he's, he's given, he's entrusted to us. He's given us a job. He's given us a task. He's given us works that we have to prove faithful to. And what does proving faithful look like? It looks like being good stewards of working hard. Think about the days of creation. The Lord is working hard. When did he rest? On the seventh day. Day one, day two, day three, day four. Day, he's working. Elsie, we've been given a task. We're talking about your physical jobs. It's good for you to work hard because you're working unto the Lord. It shows faithfulness at your job. It's also, you're also called to work faithfulness in other areas that we're going to get to. But when we're talking about a task that God has been assigned to us in our job, think, think about faithfulness. Think about Joab. God spoke to him through the prophets in 2 Kings 9. You know the next time God speaks to him? After he completed the task. Amen. That's faithfulness. That's what we're called to. We're maturing as a body. But we don't need the Lord to continually speak to us, to affirm us, but to say, hey, I've given you my word. And you take my word and you put it into practice and you be faithful. See, LCM, he's given us things that are perfect, like James 1.17 says, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So you're not simply being faithful to your boss. You're faithful to the king of kings who's watching the very things that you do. It says, it says in, the, in, the, in the prophets that he, his eyes are raging throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Are you fully committed, LCM? Let's take a look at another area that God has entrusted us with. Hey, some of you, many of you have been entrusted with a wife. In fact, I have been entrusted with a beautiful wife. And Pastor Eric nailed this last time. Yeah. Faithfulness to your wife. <laughs> in your heart, in your mind, yeah. in your love, in your discipleship, in your leadership, in every area. Yeah. Now, faithfulness to your wife is not only, oh, you know, faithfulness where you know. It's faithfulness everywhere. It's the devotion to be faithful with what the Father himself has entrusted to you. How beautiful is that? Children. Somebody say children. children. Man, we've, what did Pastor Wade say? Double stacked on this yeah. altar? 
when it, when it came to pray for the children, that's how much of an abundance we have in children. God has entrusted us with children. CLCM, we need to have a revelation of the value of our kids. We need to have a revelation of what God is aiming them at. Because if we don't value this revelation that God has given us about our children, if we don't value these things, it causes us to drift. Where there's no revelation that people cast off restraint. If God has entrusted you with children, if he's given you these precious little ones to further the kingdom, how do you learn how to raise them? It's by spending time with people who are getting it right. It's by watching other families. Think about the kibbutz. Think about the pastors of the kibbutz. Spend some time with them. See how they raise their kids. See how they, they're faithful to raise them, to discipline them, to speak life into them, to say, hey, this is who you are. Even before the kids are even able to understand the words coming out of their mouth, they're speaking and they're sown into the spiritual realities of what they will become. This is what it looks like to say, hey, I have a daughter and a child on the way. Man, I see these men getting it right. I see our elders getting it right. I'm going to draw near to them to see how to pastor my wife, to see how to pastor my children. See, we have to be faithful with these children because God gave them to us. They're a gift from the Lord, and he has entrusted these children to us. From the moment that they were born until 18, he's given us the opportunity to sow into them and to sow into them to cause life and a perpetual generation of a priesthood. Because our children are not ours. They belong to the king of kings. All right, so taking it back to 1 Corinthians 4, 1, it states that we ought to be secret, I mean, uh, stewards of the secrets of God, Okay. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children. Come on. So those secret things of God, have, which have been entrusted to us, belong to us. They're our possession, and we get to pass them down to our children. We, the church, are the assembly of God, and we are the pillar and foundation of truth. We have been given the gospel. We talked about certain things that we have been entrusted with. But we're even going further. This verse is talking about the secrets of God. So let's hone in there. Church, we've been given the gospel of forgiveness. The gospel of cleansing and removal of sin. To release those who are in slavery to death and sin. Think about this. Jesus, Yeshua himself, breathed into his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He goes later on to say in John 20, 23, that whoever sins against you and you forgive them, they will be forgiven. How extraordinary is that? What kind of authority do we have? It's linked directly to the very throne of God. Man, how good does it feel to be clean, church? Amazing. It feels good to be physically clean and spiritually much more clean. To know that you're right with the Father. That your conscience is clean. That you've been cleansed from your sins, and they've been removed as far as the east is from the west. And not only that, LCM, that you can do the same for others. Hallelujah. You were living in death before. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and now you can extend that to other people. Man, that is glorious. It's, it's not about the successes of the world. Those things are going to fade away, but the everlasting word of God is going to stand forever. And as you do his will, you live forever. and You're able to extend that cleansing power of the gospel to somebody else and watch somebody who is living in death resurrect as a son and a daughter of the living king. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about your experience of cleansing? 
Because if you don't treasure that deposit, what makes you think that you're going to share it with anybody? If you, do, you, you yourself don't value it, if I don't value it, if I walk around and I don't remember that I'm singing, I called and he answered. And he came to my rescue. How, how am I going to share that same experience? How am I going to be compelled to action if that is not present right now? Not seven years ago, not 12 years ago. Right now for me to share with somebody. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Well, how good does it feel to be reconciled with God? How good does it feel to have an intimacy with Him that you're able to come with boldness to the throne? That you know that nothing stands in between you and Him. He is your Father. You have been completely reconciled. Your sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. Do you know what that feels like? And are you experiencing it? Are you enjoying it? Is that being, are you being empowered by it? If you value it, I'm telling you, you will share it. You will be compelled to action because there are people out there that need exactly what you have. Elsie, and we've been given the ministry of ministering God's spirit. Come on. The spirit of sonship. The world is, is going crazy. There, there are people who are lost, have no connection to the gospel, no connection to Jesus, and they're watching what's going on in their life. They're watching what's going on in the world, and they're like, something is wrong, and there's nothing I can do about it. And we've been given a revelation from God to minister his spirit that other men and women might become sons and daughters of God. We've been given the, the ministry, like my brother said, of reconciliation to reconcile people to God, and we do not leave them as orphans. Look around the room. We don't, we don't all look the same. Not the same stature, don't all eat the same thing, but we're still family. The Lord has brought us from us being orphans to now being the, the, the family of God. And there are men and women out there who are also orphans, and they're searching all around. And we have the answer in our grasp. We have the answer. We have a revelation from God. And it is our job to minister the spirit of God, to the spirit that testifies that we're sons of God, to give them a revelation of sonship and empower us to cry a revelation of sonship to empower them to cry out for the spirit of the living God that will then testify inside of them to cry out, Abba, Father. This is who we are, LCM. You've been entrusted with much. We have the reality of the kingdom of God inside of us. What is the kingdom of God according, according to Romans 14, 17? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Walking righteously, walking in righteousness, walking in shalom. There's nothing that stands in my shalom between the Father and I. And walking in joy. That is the essence of what you have and you're able to bestow upon somebody else. That is to be valued and treasured. That is to be faithful with. Are we, proven, are we being proven faithful with that which has been deposited inside of us? Remember the parable of the talents? Being faithful... It's not guarding it so closely that you hide it and, you're, and you put it in your little back pocket because you're not going to share it with anybody else because you value it so much. Being faithful is replicating that which has been put inside of you. You take it. You value it. You treasure it so much that you're not okay with having just one talent. You have to make more of this. You have to give of that which you have received. You have to give it freely, and you have to give it sacrificially. This is the only reason why you were chosen. This is the reason why you were empowered and appointed. We have to treasure what we have received. 
And the true way of proving faithful is when you multiply it in others. LCM, we have the truth. Say that. We have the truth. truth. Elder Eric said last Sunday, if you you had the cure for cancer, would you just walk around like, "Uh, I don't really know if I have something to offer today. No, you have the very cure that people need. We have a cure that is better than the cure for cancer. We have the cures of all cures. We have the living and enduring word of the living God. And God is stirring something inside of us where we have to come to a place and say, you know what? I have the truth. I have the word, and I'm not content with just keeping it to myself. That's not what Jehu did. He didn't say, oh, oh, hey, man, thank you for anointing me. Thank you, God of Israel. I appreciate the three generations that went into this. I'm going to keep this. He said he rode out and started to do God's will. He wasn't content with keeping it to himself. It was his job to extend shalom. Church, you've been given the truth of God's word, and it's a birth inside of you, and you've been given something to extend to others, to get into God's word because the scriptures testify about him, that as you're being moved by the word, you know what's going to happen to everybody else around you? They're going to be moved by the word as well, that we have to give his word because it is in his word It is truth that would truly set captives free. And so when people look at you and say, hey, how how do I know? How can I believe? Look at my life. I was a captive before, but now I'm I'm a son of God, and I'm alive, and I've been set free. And you can have the very same. Red Phillips, you can do this. God has entrusted you with his very word. It's not about talent. It's not about performance. He says, look, I have. Joab was not Joab. Jehu was a commander. And God said, you are now a king. What God says over your life, that's fact. And when you read the word of God and you engage with the 12 gates, say, no, 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 no. This is who I am, and I'm called to do this for others. It sets you on fire when you have this kind of attitude because you know, you know who your father is. And as a result, it flows into the revelation of who you are, and then it flows into the revelation of you knowing what you have received, and it's precious. And LCM, it should birth an attitude inside of you and a life that is characterized by an audacious faith. Say audacious faith. Audacious faith. In fact, that's the title of our sermon. It's an an audacious faith. Come on. Hey, I want to draw a parenthesis right here. My brother was just speaking about the 12 gates. Well, the other day, I caught myself going into the building of my office, telling myself that I'm a son of God. And that may seem holy, that may seem like the right thing to do, but to me it was pretty stupid. Why am I telling myself something that I am? Am I always telling myself I'm a man or I'm a husband or, or like... Or I'm, I'm Carlos. Yeah. I'm Abin Bolin. No, we uh, don't do that. Yes, remember I'm Carlos. No. <laughs> the, you know what? The problem, the problem yeah. that day was that I was not affirmed by my father. You know what's the best way to know that you're a son of God? Spend time with your father. That'll do it for you. You won't be able to tell yourself a thousand times enough to become a son of God. That doesn't work like that. You want to walk in identity? Well, spend spend time with the one that gives you that identity. Now, that was a... The father is so good at correcting immediately. It's like a slap on the face. But that that is where this draws from. Remember, we're talking about a revelation of something that has been given to you. You have the Spirit of God that testifies that you are a son of God and lets you cry out, Abba, Father. That is different than telling yourself that you're the righteousness of God or that you are the son of God. These things are, He rains righteousness upon you and you become the righteousness of God. You don't tell yourself simply that this, you have that as the, as, as the, 
the truth of what you are. But, not, but this is experience. It's a revelation. And when you engage with him, he does this in you. Amen. This happened to every saint that we read about in the Bible. They never told themselves what they were. They experienced God and God changed them. Gave them a revelation and they walked in it. They were faithful to that deposit. So with this in mind and the audacious faith that is unstoppable. That says, hey, you know what? I've been anointed. Yeah. I have what I need. I have the deposit that the Father's put in me. You can stop me. I'm a true son of God, born of him. I will overcome. And not only that, he will meet my boldness. Yeah. He will meet me when I step out in faith. He will meet me when I step out in audacious faith. My pursuit and attitude will not be defensive. Yeah. You can't be defensive. You can't be protecting he, the kingdom of God does not need protecting. You have to go on the offensive. You fight by guarding the good deposit as you go in the offense. He is entrusting you with something that's a weapon. That is meant to destroy the works of the devil. That's meant to take dominion. That is meant to take territory. That is meant to expand. Not to contract. Not to, not to save something. He's expanding. And that's how he says. I will fight. I will have an audacious faith to fight and multiply what he has entrusted in me i will not be consumed by fear of guarding something yes he's working right now in my marriage yes he's working right now in who i am yes he's working in my family so what i take the work that he's doing inside of me i own it i apply it and i keep on going this is not stopping me you have to rise when you have you failed well i failed Last year, and I failed five months ago, and four months ago, and, and I failed today, and, and it keeps, there are more failures than I can count. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I'm going to stop. That means that faith, audacious faith, will rise for me. I will rise in this, and, uh, and I will tell my enemy, do not gloat over me, because yet I find I will rise. Yeah. This is audacious faith. Yeah. I'm unstoppable. We are unstoppable. We have a revelation of who we are. Else, I want to say, rise up. This matter is in your hands. Rise up, Steve Thomas. Rise up, Chris Riasora. Rise up in this audacious faith. This audacious faith that we saw in Jehu made its way all the way down to the first century church, and it should be our aim. We should follow them in this audacious faith of what these men and women of God demonstrated. Because when you read the book of Acts, man, doesn't it stir you up? Doesn't it stir you up when you see, like, when you read about men like Peter and John who were arrested, who were being threatened in their day? But yet when they got together, when they were praying together, they were praying for boldness to speak the word of God more boldly. That is counterintuitive to what people naturally want to do. You get arrested for something, your life is on the line, let me go hide, let me go cower, let me go, let me go protect my, no, no, these men said, hey, Lord, we want to speak your word more boldly. Stretch out your hand, heal us, heal us in this moment, cause your fire, heal us and cause signs and wonders to be birthed amongst our midst and set us apart to do the work again and again and again and empower us by your spirit. To speak your word because your word is truth and it's alive inside of us and it's causing a fire to rumble inside of them. You know what they did? They changed, they changed the nation. They changed the, the surrounding city around them. See, no one can stop them. 
They were unstoppable when they had this audacious faith. No opposition could stop them. No circumstance could stop them. Nothing could stop them. They had this attitude. It's an attitude that we need to pick up. It's the attitude that Jesus spoke of, and it's alive in this room. Even when they were scattered, even when, they, when persecution broke out, they spoke God's word boldly. So LCM, listen, as you guys stand to your feet, and we're getting ready to close, and Carlos, Carlos will take it from here. What God is doing in this room is monumental. What he's doing in our lives is monumental. It's no ordinary thing. What he's doing in this body is extraordinary, and we need to take hold of this. So as Carlos brings us to a close here, listen to what he's saying, because it's absolutely pertinent that we allow this to, to, to be a seed that is sowed inside of our heart, that the Spirit of God waters and causes life to burst forth. Amen. In Caesarea Philippi, Peter received a revelation. He said, you are the son of the living God. This was not revealed to him by flesh or blood. This was revealed to him by his father in heaven. And Jesus tells him something. He tells him, you are Kepha. You are Peter. You're not Simon. You are Peter. He receives a revelation of who he is. Not only that, he's already received a revelation of who Yeshua is. He is receiving the deposit. Peter is a changed man. Peter is not the same. Peter has been completely transformed into someone that affects, that changes, that's compelled to action, that is unstoppable, that has seen his master, that though he denies him three times, he rises from it. Amen. That he not only he rises, he rises to be the one that strengthens everybody else. He rises to be the one that works for everybody else, the servant of everybody else. He is unstoppable. He is unstoppable, Peter, having received a revelation of Yeshua, his kingdom, and who he is in that kingdom. And this we can see in Peter and John in Acts 3. In Acts 3, a lame man asked Peter and John for money, for silver. And something precious happens. He asked for something mundane, something worldly, something that people value, something that is valuable to many, many worldly people. But Peter and John know they have something much more valuable. And not, and not only that, they have a revelation that is in store for them. They're not guessing whether they have it or not. They're not thinking, what happens if I do this? What happens if I step out? Will his promises come true when I do this? They have something in store. They have received something. And so their words are, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I do give to you. And in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, I tell you, rise up and walk. I am telling you right now that you have received many good deposits. Many good deposits with which the kingdom can be expanding. With which the kingdom 
can completely be taking over every area of your life. You haven't really received that. But if in this moment, you feel like you don't have it, then what did the, what did the apostles and the disciples do? They prayed. They prayed to be filled again. They had already been filled, but they needed boldness again. They needed it because they had just been struck. They had just been put in prison. They needed it again. I need a refilling. The word today in worship was about streams of living water that will fill you, that will be revived again, that will be flowing through you again. So what we're doing today is not playing games. What we're hoping to achieve in you today is that a vigorous desire and hunger for that which is written in Scripture is testified in His Word. We're not speaking about ourselves. We're not speaking of our own good thoughts. It's spoken in Scripture. That is, this is available for all of us. This is available for our congregation. This is available for us to walk in it. The one who says that he knows Yeshua must walk as he did. This is available for you and I today. And we're asking, if you don't feel filled, then there's an opportunity to be filled today. And there's an opportunity to be filled tomorrow. And actually, that's what you have to cry out for. If you are only hungering for the Father because of what He might do for you, you've lost the battle. You hunger for Him because how awesome is your Father. Because the awe of His name needs to be revived in who we are. We don't seek Him for benefits. We don't see, we're not hungry for what He might do today in my affliction. That will happen. He will come and rescue you. But you seek Him because He's worthy of being sought. And you need everything that He's got to give. His Spirit is life in us. And if we don't have that, then we don't have anything to give. But if we have that, and we guard it, and we steward it, and we put it into practice, and we use it, and we take it, then we're being faithful stewards. Faithful stewards with the secrets of God. Imagine what would happen to this congregation when every man, woman, and child rises in this spirit. In the spirit of audacious faith that says, my father will meet me. He is a good father. And when he says that he will not give you a snake if you ask for a fish, he's the truth. He will give you the Holy Spirit if you ask. I want this. I need this. I desire this. He's moving our body to desire this more and more. He wants to give us the streams of living water that was prophesied today. So if you are hungry and you, don't, you need any feeling, come to the altar. If you need more of His revelation, come to the altar. If you want to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, come to the altar. If you want a revelation of who He is, come to the altar. Father, our hearts are hungry for you. Father, as in a dry and thirsty land, we desire your rivers of living water flowing from us. Father, we ask you that you would meet us right now. That you would come and touch our lives, Father. That you would flow in this moment. We put our eyes on you. Father, and we ask you that your spirit comes 
Jesus through us, Father. That you empower and you give life to dry bones right now, Father. Father, that the zeal that was in us at first is revived in us today, Father. The zeal to bring about your kingdom, establish it, and accomplish the work that you have given us to do, Father. Father, we are asking you that today you cause something to be stirred. You cause something to be initiated, Father. That you do the work that you have asked us, Father, to do. We ask you come right now, Father. 